On this episode, we're going to revisit cycles of stress and rest and talk about what this could look like if we explicitly take our nervous system states and completing the stress cycle into account. Welcome to Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast with Stephanie Lee. On this show, we're going to talk about the experiences of high achieving women and men across industries and lifestyles who are at about the midpoint in their careers and no longer satisfied to let their lives happen to them. Together, we're purposely creating the second half of our lives by addressing burnout and overwork, getting clarity on how we're creating the experience of our lives, how we're conspiring to keep ourselves stuck, identifying and articulating what it is that we really want for the second half of our lives and creating a plan to achieve it. In the last episode, I shared with you my experience of experimenting with cycles of focused work and purposeful rest as I presented on the podcast last year in episode eight. And this was revisiting what Stuhlberg and Magnus called, and this was from their book, Peak Performance, what they called the growth equation. They examined what makes high performers across domains, athletes, entrepreneurs, creatives, different from the rest of us, and coined the term growth equation, where growth equals stress and rest. So I go back to my metaphor, right? You lift weights, you tear and break down a muscle, and then you rest and your body rebuilds it stronger. Importantly, it requires both the tearing down, both the stress and the rest for the muscle growth and strength to occur. In this book, they asserted that the same pattern is exhibited in creative types to get them into a place of flow where they alternate between total immersion with their work and rest and restoration. Chick sent me referred to this type of total immersion as unremitting focus. We went on in episode eight to talk about the concept of stress and rest cycles for high achieving knowledge workers, specifically what it looks like for burned out knowledge workers who want to get out of burnout and develop resistance. And what I noticed, which I told you last week that I noticed most significantly was when I tried to take breaks, particularly the during the workday breaks that we talked about was a tremendous amount of resistance. It was a desire to just keep going, to not stop and rest. So I could rest completely when the job was done, which actually sounds great, right? But it was an inability to shut off. And basically I found that this inability to shut off during the day in these little episodes chased me home in the evening and made it harder to shut off sort of in the macro, if you will. So I began sharing with you last week, some of what I've been learning about the nervous system and why I think I was having this experience, because I have a hunch that many of you felt the same way. We were addressing stress and rest purely cognitively and ignoring the impact that it had on our bodies. Burnout has simply become a part of our culture these days, but there are ways to address it. And so I'm here adjusting my suggestions for focused work and purposeful rest to include some insights, taking existing burnout into account, taking our bodies that we inhabit into account and looking at this through the lens of our nervous system. So I'm going to remind you a little bit what I introduced you to last week regarding our nervous systems, our nervous system, rather. 
And our autonomic nervous system operates mostly outside of our conscious control. It includes the sympathetic branch, which we often refer to as fight or flight, and the parasympathetic branch, which gets referred to as rest and digest. A healthy, regulated nervous system vacillates appropriately back and forth between these states based on the cues that are around us. In a very helpful metaphor, the folks at alignmentlab.net liken this to a dimmer switch that can be adjusted to various levels of brightness depending on the day's activities. Bright during the day for focused work, perhaps like a surgical lab and a dimmer light in the evening for relaxation. Our lives and the way we live them often leave us in a place where we're at least a little activated all of the time. And we don't move as easily between sympathetic and parasympathetic. It's like leaving that dimmer switch at a set brightness and not adjusting it. Or in another metaphor that they use, it's like leaving a car in idle and just revving the engine from time to time, but never shutting it off. I'll add to this that if we leave the car idling for a very long time, eventually the battery runs out of juice. And that's when we find ourselves immobilized and in collapse. Although our autonomic nervous system does and can operate outside conscious control, there are ways that we can influence it. And this discussion of focused work and deliberate rest, we're going to talk about ways to guide and assist your nervous system to move back and forth between sympathetic and parasympathetic as it's designed to do. Focused work. So on episode eight, when we talked about this topic the first time, I talked about growing concentration and focus as a skill that both serves me and the quality of the work that I'm producing. We live in an increasingly distracted world. And this distraction that we bemoan in young people who are constantly on their phone, watching YouTube while texting, goodness knows they're not talking on the phone to one another, and gaming, it's entered our business practices at our jobs as well. I'm struck by the irony of this. We're frustrated and irritated over the holidays by the young people who just can't seem to do one thing at a time, but we're completely unable to do one thing at a time during our work days. And in many cases, we tell ourselves that this way of work is a necessity. I won't go into detail here on the benefits of concentration and focus as I did in episode eight. I'll refer you back there, but I will comment on it from the perspective of the nervous system since that's what we've been discussing today. Focused work often moves us up into the sympathetic nervous system state in a very good way. See the work of Aliyah Crum and Kelly McGonigal for more on this. We're more focused and on task, thinking clearly. It doesn't amp us up unnecessarily, like multitasking and simply rushing may do. Revving ourselves up unnecessarily has diminishing returns on our ability to concentrate, focus, and do our work well. I've mentioned in a previous episode that I've adopted several new aphorisms for myself related to this. These are multitasking doesn't actually help me to get any more done. And this is because I remember that the task switching that occurs with multitasking makes me feel like I'm getting more done, but I'm actually slower than I would be if I were not switching tasks. And rushing doesn't actually allow me to get things done more quickly. Same deal, only with rushing, the reality is that I become less focused, I'm not concentrating, errors are more likely to get made, and things are going to have to be repeated. So I suggest, as I did on episode eight, really separating out focused work from rest breaks. 
working in a truly focused fashion, even for seemingly short blocks of time interspersed with purposeful rest, which we'll talk about in a minute, will allow you to accomplish more at a higher quality. And I bet that you actually feel better doing it. Less mental strain and that distracted feeling will give you more satisfaction, including satisfaction with the quality of your work and a sense of accomplishment. So let's briefly revisit some strategies to engage in focused work. These are things that are useful to me, but you are the expert on what will work for you. So ask yourself how you might buy yourself some time for focused work. Turn off notifications on your phone and your computer. Each of these little sounds coming from our devices splits our attention. And you can likely see from our discussion of the nervous system, how this keeps us in just a little bit higher of a sympathetic state. Set times during the day to address your email. Even if it's every couple of hours, handle processing email like a focused task. Schedule time for focused work. Identify a time during the day or maybe a few times during the week when you're truly going to engage in deep focused work. Select your most cognitively draining tasks, something that requires your focus. Tell your assistant to hold your calls, turn off your notifications, put your phone away, and just work on those items. It doesn't have to be all the time. Just integrating this sometime will come with a big effect. Consider using a work rest timer, also called a Pomodoro timer. Most people can actually only focus for 90 minutes at a time. And as I've said before, very likely you are most people. Set a timer and expect yourself to focus during this time. I use the flow timer and it allows you to select the amount of time for flow when you're working and the amount of time for rest and then to cycle them. So you might work for 45 minutes, rest for five and repeat that three times before taking a 20 minute break. I adjust these times all day long based on several factors. When I plan to have lunch or finish work for the day, my next meeting to allow for a few minutes of transition between them, the nature of the task that I'm working on, or how focused and stressed or busy I feel. So how I'm cycling my focused work and rest cycles varies widely based on the day. If I've got a day of writing or reading fairly technical and detailed reports, I'll schedule maybe 50 or 60 minute blocks with a 10 minute break and do three or four of those in a row before lunch. And then after lunch until the end of the day. But if I've got lots of scattered little things to do, I'll sort of batch them by sort of type of task and then maybe do 20 to 30 minute segments with three to five minutes of rest between. If I'm feeling stressed or overwhelmed, I have found that the shorter segments do work more effectively with little breaks. It's easier for me to focus for 20 to 30 minutes than for 50 or 90, but I have to take those little breaks as we've talked about in previous episodes. So this episode came about because I was experimenting with this in the fall with periods of focused work and rest. And I really found myself resisting taking those breaks. I wanted to just push through and keep going, which would be fine if I was then not later in the evening and on weekends, finding that I was both exhausted and couldn't shut off. And a missing piece for me, and it may be one for you too, was not considering my nervous system. I was managing this very much in my head as I do everything. 
and not recognizing that my body was activated and my body needed help to gently come down. So I have begun to purposefully consider my nervous system as I think about how to integrate rest both into my cycles of focused work and into my life more broadly. The worksheet for this episode is going to prompt you to identify strategies that will work for you to calm your nervous system before you need them. It's almost always hard in the moment, but you can create a quick list that's available to you on your device when you're ready to use it. For your worksheet, go to stephanieleecoaching.com forward slash episode 28. I'm also going to tell you that these are strategies that I use. They work for me, some of my clients as well, and they're things other coaches suggest. But you need to find strategies that work for you. And if these aren't them, the Googles are complete with all manner of suggestions. Do some searching for nervous system regulation exercises. Step one is to check in with yourself and ask what you need. There isn't a recipe. You are the one living inside your body who can learn to tell when you're amped up in a sympathetic state, headed towards or in collapse, or in a healthy state, undulating between your parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems. When I say check in with yourself and ask what you need, I recognize that that may be pretty nebulous for some of you. I would ask you to just take a quiet moment, check in with your breathing, and notice how your body feels. Specifically, notice what sensations you feel around your jaw and in your face, around your throat, Does it feel open like you can breathe clearly? Does it feel clenched and tight? What about your chest, solar plexus? Again, is it tight? Does it feel like there's a heavy weight there? Or does it feel open and loose? Those are just some ways to check in and see where sensation is coming up in your body and may give you some clues about what you can do to healthfully nudge your nervous system. Experiment. Try some of these approaches that I'm offering to you. Google other approaches. As I said, the internet's full of them and some are going to resonate with you and some are not. This is such a different approach, however, because usually we take the approach that we're going to do what we need to do to achieve our goals, to do our job, to take care of our family, to deal with a crisis. And part of that ability to get done what we need to get done is predicated on our ability to simply get our bodies to just come along with what we tell it to do. For example, we diet by telling our bodies, I know you're hungry and you want a piece of cake, but you're going to wait and then we're going to eat some carrots and you're going to be fine with that. We power through, we buckle down, we lock it down. A couple of things to consider as you're identifying an appropriate way to rest between periods of focused work when experiencing stress. Consider what you're kind of coming off of So the way that I experience stress or an activated sympathetic nervous system is very different if I'm coming off of a period of maybe 90 minutes of intensely focused work than when I'm overwhelmed or frustrated or angry. The solution's going to be different. Also ask yourself, what's the purpose of this rest? Is this three minutes of rest before another cycle of work? Or am I winding down for the night? Do you have 20 minutes to decompress at the end of the workday? Or is this a time you've carved out for a 90 minute massage at the end of the week? And then are you worked up or are you in collapse? Even if you have been in collapse, you may have gotten yourself worked up in order to get some things done. 
I'm not suggesting this is a great approach, but it is a reality for many of us. If you have gotten yourself to a place where you're engaged in focus work, you've probably done this. Strategies are going to be different if you're attempting to come down from stress or if you're attempting to get your body gently moving again. Assuming you're worked up, how worked up are you? Identify an appropriate way to respond that is matched to how worked up you are. Or maybe you couple a few things together. Let's first look at some ways that you might create breaks or rest for yourself when you're in a sympathetic state. Emily and Amelia Nagoski in their book, Burnout, characterize this as completing the stress cycle. If you imagine an animal suddenly be chased by a larger predator, it goes into fight or flight. It gets all of those stress hormones and focused an increased heart rate, and then it runs like hell. When you receive an email that makes you angry or makes you feel attacked, or you've been working intensely for an hour on a highly detailed task, you don't then generally run across the parking lot to discharge that energy. What we're talking about here when we talk about completing a stress cycle is finding ways to discharge that energy like an animal would have done by running when being chased by a large predator. According to the Nagoskis, when we enter into these types of stress cycles all day, every day, as we all do and is very normal, but we don't complete them, that stress is then accumulating in our bodies. Quincy Gideon, a trauma psychologist, talks about finding ways to discharge energy and then soothe yourself. So this might be some type of movement followed by something more soothing like a meditation or a breathing exercise. So you've checked in and you've considered just how activated you were. If you were very angry or frustrated or stressed out, maybe you choose a power walk or a run, turning up the music loud and singing, jumping jacks. What can you do that involves getting the energy out of you? If you're out at the office, maybe this looks like a power walk around the parking lot or just down the hall or closing your office door and putting in your earbuds and dancing or moving. If you're just up in sort of a good sympathetic state, movement is still likely good. Slower movement or dancing, a walk, maybe desk yoga, standing and stretching, all can be helpful. For whatever reason, and this was certainly my experience, it's so tempting to just sit still, but you really want to move your body. If you're working from home, maybe your break is walking the dog, unloading the dishwasher, or loading the laundry machine. Perhaps you write in your journal or self-coach. Maybe you have a personal conversation with a friend or colleague. What's most important is you come up with things that work for you. And I would urge you to consider how you might get outside, integrate some movement, and importantly, get away from your desk. The last quarter of 2022, I began integrating more walking into my routine, and it actually came from this. What I found was actually that the more stress and pressure I was under, the more important the walking. During a very intensely busy week last month, I walked about 20 or 25 minutes over lunch most days. And I was amazed at how much more easily I was able to focus in the afternoon. And I believe it's because walking for that amount of time allowed me to kick into my parasympathetic state. And it was easier than to regulate my nervous system during work and for the rest of the day. So as I've mentioned several times now, walking is a minimum baseline for me of things that I do to take care of myself. 
Okay. So you're in a sympathetic state and you have found a way to diffuse the energy. How then do you soothe yourself? Again, this is going to depend on whether you were just activated in a focused kind of way, or if you were intensely wound up. Your nervous system is wired to detect danger. It thinks that the stress of work is danger. And we know cognitively that work stress isn't an immediate danger. So we don't think that our safety is an issue, but your nervous system, your body, it's looking for cues that it's safe. I'm going to confess to having some skepticism and lack of connection with this idea of safety because I've had the good fortune to feel very safe as a child growing up in my family, in my daily life. This isn't about you being in an unsafe environment. It's about your body perceiving stress as a lack of safety and your body needing to be assured that you are in fact safe. So here are some ideas for how you might soothe. Place your hand on your heart, your head, your face, your neck, your arms, or another part of your body in a supportive way. Scan your body and notice where you're bracing or clenching, your jaw, your face, your eyes. Where are you bracing your muscles or your uh, shoulders up to your ears, your hands, your legs even? Allow them to relax. If you're sitting or lying down, allowing your body to more fully rest and relax in the space that you're in. It's interesting, even lying in bed, you can notice that you might be bracing a little bit and you're not just fully relaxed. How can you relax or soften just a tiny bit more? Visually orient yourself to the space that you're in. Look around the room. You think about folks who don't like to put their back to the door in a room. It's a, it's a safety thing, right? It's about being able to see who comes in. Visually orient yourself to the room and you're communicating to your body that you're in a safe space. Visually focus on something that brings you pleasure. This may be your partner, your pet, a piece of art, or maybe something you have on your desk that brings you joy or pleasure, a gift from someone or something sentimental in some way. It can be anything. Slow your breathing, extend your exhale. Use something like a meditation or hypnosis app just for a one to three minute exercise. Consider the physiological sigh. I've referred to this elsewhere from Andrew Huberman, and that's going to be two quick inhales followed by an exhale. There's YouTube videos with Huberman demonstrating how to do that, but it engages your parasympathetic nervous system. Here is an important note with any of these things. If it doesn't feel good, if it seems to produce anxiety, let it go. Forcing yourself to relax is exactly not the point. So we don't want to do that. But what about if you're at the end of the day and you have a little more time? So many of these were geared for pretty quick exercises in the middle of the day to allow you to discharge some stress and then soothe. But what about at the end of the day or if you have more time? You need to come up with a list for yourself of things that'll work for you. But again, here are some of mine. Go for a run. Go for a walk. Lift heavy things. Go for a swim or a bike ride. Get a massage foot massage, go for a pedicure, go to a yoga class, meditation, write in my journal, call a friend to discuss whatever the thing is. 
wander in a bookstore, a plant store, an art supply, or craft store. One of the complaints that we have heard and read online from people who are working remotely is that there isn't a good way of breaking up the workday from their time at home. So integrating one of these things, for me, you're going to guess it's generally a walk at the end of the day can help with the transition and can help close the stress cycle. So there's a little double dipping benefit there. Again, though, check in and see what your body needs. A massage might sound wonderful and relaxing, but have you ever gotten to the massage table and lied down and wondered if you were running there, your heart's beating fast, and you're thinking, I've got to hurry up and calm down so I can enjoy this. Not super helpful for all the reasons we've talked about. Maybe you would be better served by some physical activity before the massage, or certainly allowing yourself to arrive early, calm your breathing, and then you can fully enjoy the massage. So alternately, maybe you find yourself in a low parasympathetic state, immobilized. Maybe it's in the evening after work and you are just down and slow and low energy. Or maybe it's a break that you've allowed yourself to take and you're having trouble getting moving at all. Rather than revving yourself up, as we've talked about that we can do, where you spur yourself into action, telling yourself to get it together and get moving, you want to again integrate movement, but more slowly. And watch that inner voice. You're trying to wake your body up calmly and gently. Think of how you would wake a child or your partner as opposed to an alarm screeching them into wakefulness. Again, it's about communicating safety. Remember that we get into this state when we've been activated and sympathetic for so long that we've just collapsed. Think about the animal running from the predator, running out of energy and playing dead. You want to communicate to that soft animal of your body that it's now safe to begin moving around again. Find strategies that move movement back into your body in soft, gentle ways. What's gentle movement for you? Slow movement, yin yoga or gentle yoga class. Stretching, heat, time, rest, a nap. Stroll outside if possible. Heat is often great for people. Think about things like a bath, a sauna, heating pad, cozy socks, a warm mug with a hot beverage. If you're looking at a massage, maybe this isn't the time for deep tissue, maybe something more soothing. Time with your pets, timed with your loved ones, those that soothe you. Enjoy beauty, music, art, listening to an audiobook. Maybe have a playlist arranged ahead of time. The outdoors, perhaps if you have a view of the beach or the mountains, or just simply being outside in green space. But again, this is where you are the expert regarding your own experience. If you are truly in a state of collapse, it is quite possibly time to seek help from a therapist or your physician. Please don't try to go it alone with only these tools if more assistance is needed. So what's the point of all of this? This approach recognizes that many, if not most, and I truly believe most of us are walking around burned out and depleted most of the time, but are pushing ourselves on to the next thing, believing that that is just what we're supposed to do, what life calls for. We want to show up at our jobs, perform well, and then be able to show up as who we want to be in our personal lives, but we're finding it hard, either because we're wound up in anxiety or because we're crashing on nights and weekends. 
Next week, we're going to talk about why burnout is particularly problematic among high achievers and those that are passionate or believe intensely in what they do for work. We have a misconception, I believe, that burnout may be about having a bad attitude about what it is you do or just be something that troubles lazy people while the ones who know how to work hard just blow through it. But this is indeed a misconception. One example of this is the number of burned out healthcare workers, especially following this pandemic. If this work lights you up and you want to take it deeper, let's talk. Coaching one-on-one with me offers you the opportunity to truly invest in yourself and the creation of the second half of your life. We'll uncover how you are keeping yourself stuck. We'll look at patterns that you have that are creating burnout and overwhelm and what to do about them so that you have the energy to think meaningfully about your life. We'll take a look at the story that you tell about your life and see where it's serving you and where it's not. And where you want to, we'll rewrite it together. We'll clean all of the junk out of the way so that you can get clear about what it is you want for the second half of your life. You can't go after goals that you don't know you have. I'm only offering a few of these one-on-one coaching slots. All of them are gonna be a weekend afternoon. 24 sessions over the course of six months. If this sounds like exactly what you need to wake up to your life, let's get to work. Go to my website at stephanieleecoaching.com. When this airs, I'll have some slots reserved in January for discovery calls. They'll go quickly. So if this is something you're interested in, go ahead and sign up. If the times on my calendar don't work for you, let's chat. You can email me at hello at stephanieleecoaching.com and we'll find a time that does. Thank you for sticking with me through the 28th episode of Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast. For a worksheet to support you in continuing the work that you've heard about on this episode, go to stephanieleecoaching.com forward slash episode 28, scroll to the bottom and enter your email address. And I do hope you'll join me back here on your favorite podcast player or YouTube for our next episode. Wherever you listen, please like and subscribe tell your friends. And if you're enjoying it, leave us a rating on Apple podcast. It really helps others to find the show. Have a great week. And I can't wait to chat with you again soon. Bye.